Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had, and what a wonderful reminders we have had of the wonder of what it means to know Christ and the, the gift that it is in knowing Him. And so I want to invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. You can turn with me to 1 John. We're continuing our study through 1 John and talking about knowing Jesus and seeing all the significant ways in which that is really unpacked for us and, and knowing Jesus in the sense of not only knowing Him, but in the sense of knowing that you know that you know Him. Uh, to the degree of giving us great assurance in our lives that we have the forgiveness of sin, that we know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that as we walk in this letter together and see all the ways in which uh, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, unpacks this for us, we see just how helpful all of the clarity really is. Because we need what endures in our lives. You know, so oftentimes we get obsessed with things that are uh, new, but we realize quite qu- quickly that the things that are new are often very fleeting. They seem like they're just slipping through our hands all of the time. So we need something that's going to be applicable now, that's going to be just as applicable in 20 years, that's going to be just as applicable, should the Lord tarry, in 10,000 years from now. And so we have this wonderful reminder given to us here in the letter of 1 John. So let me encourage you, grab your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start by reading in verse 7, and we'll read down through verse 11. And then as we'll see, what is unpacked before us is in the sense of knowing Jesus, that we see timeless truth with very timely implications. So read with me, if you will, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7. And this is what we read. He says, Beloved... I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment now, Lord, we pray that you would pour out an abundance of clarity by your Spirit. Lord, you know our individual circumstances. Father, you know where we are as it relates to you specifically. Father, we pray that you would bring us to a point of understanding the truth and making right application of it. Father, that we would have a, a, just a full grasp to whatever degree we are able of your love and your care for us, that we may respond accordingly and make application to that in how we relate to one another as well. Father, in this moment now, lift our eyes to behold Jesus, and in the light of His glory, may we see things how they really are and respond. Lead us and guide us. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for His glory. Amen. So by the time we get to this portion of the letter of 1 John, we we have come... 
pretty good ways so far just in thinking of the depth of what we've seen. We've talked about the Word of Life and all the ways in which uh, that has been revealed and the significance of that. We've seen how God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And that affects how we live and function, uh, not only as it relates to Him, but also to one another. We talked last week about propitiation and the hope that we have in Christ, not only in His finished work, but also in His ongoing work as our advocate and the assurance that we find in knowing and in walking in Him. And so as we continue to walk along in this road of knowing Jesus and the assurance of knowing that you know that you know Jesus, He starts off here with this wonderful word in verse 7 where He says, Beloved. That's what, it is a precious family term. I hope that you've heard yourself referred to in that way by someone in your life. That if you haven't used that word as it relates to your spouse, you ought to. It's a reflection that you want what is best for them. That you care for them to a degree that it's more than just endearment. It is an affection that leads to action. And even as we read this within the context of where we find it, and especially thinking of it even broadly and spiritually even, it's a reminder for all of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord that if you are a believer, you are a recipient of God's affection and His love. And that love is ultimately sourced in Him. And that we love Him and we love others as a response because He first loved us. So it's helpful even in one word right here, as we think about every interaction that we have with one another, we have to constantly be reminded of where we draw love from. Remember the source. Remember the most beautiful application and display of the love of God in what? That He went to the cross and died there for us and rose from the dead. And there's forgiveness and everlasting life in His name. Because when you're reminded of His love, then you will draw from His endless supply. When you're a recipient of His love, then all of a sudden turning around and thinking about what it means to love one another doesn't feel so burdensome or toilsome because you know you've got an endless supply of love to draw from. Beloved, what a wonderful reminder for us that we root all of our action as believers in our identity in Christ. And that this is more than just talking about an expression of, of morality in our life. Even though it is that, it is ultimately an outworking of love, of God's love at work in us and through us. So brother and sister, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, maybe nobody has ever called you beloved, but that's how Jesus thinks of you. Listen to him today. Christ Jesus declares this concerning his people. His love. His view. His truth. Shapes how we perceive and treat and care for one another. Beloved. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. This commandment of God, as he describes it, and we could think of it in another way, of the sort of expectation of a believer, of somebody who says, okay, I know, I know God as my Savior and Lord. I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. 
I'm writing you no new commandment. This is no new expectation. It's not unfamiliar. Now, we live in a day and age where we are obsessed with things that are new, right? We get a new car, and you drive down the road, and it's like you're driving off the lot, and you see one drive out in front of you, and you're like, man, I could use a new car, right? You get, we, we talk about new appliances all the time. We talk about new shoes, right? You get all the new gadgets and everything. I mean, we just made it through the Christmas season. A lot of us probably got new gadgets, and probably at this point, we've probably broken most of them, Right? We get a new phone, and so we get the new app, and we download the new app, and then we download it again. We get the update on the new app, and then realize that our device is no longer going to be able to use that app, so we have to go get a new, new phone. And it's like, what? This endless cycle of functional obsolescence. Designed obsolescence. Listen, the truth of God is Timeless. It stands the test of time. It applied years ago, it applies now, and it will apply years in the future. What matters the most is what will stand the test of time. So those news stories that we get all engaged in and worried about, you know, it's those things, we, we, it's like we obsess over them for a little while, and then 10 days later we can't even remember what we were so worried about. Happens all the time, doesn't it? A lot of times we come to the end of the week and like the stress and the weight of Friday is just so much. And so you, you make it through Friday and you're like, man, I can't believe that. And you, you get back to work on Monday and you don't even remember what all the stress was about. So much that consumes so much of our attention is so fleeting. But the truth of God endures. That's why we can talk about the sanctity of life. And we can, we can quote from you know, Genesis chapter 1 and talk about people being created in the image of God. We can talk about the significance of that. You can talk about you know, Psalm 139 of God knitting us together in our mother's womb. We can talk about that. Why? That always applies. Because he's still doing that. The truth is timeless. It reaches in both directions. But as we're reading this, the obvious question comes to mind. I'm, he says, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Well, okay, well, what is this not new commandment? Well, we can know from the context that he unpacks for us here, even within this passage of Scripture, it's the command to love one another. And ultimately, the command to love God and love one another. You can say, well, where do we find that? Well, you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and you can find this command to love God. You can quote from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where we are told that we are to love one another. But you could back up even further than that, that you can go to Genesis chapter 4, right after they are expelled from the garden, and there's Cain and Abel, and that whole conversation that goes on. There's an expectation that's already clear that Cain was supposed to love his brother, wasn't there? This has been around for a long time. This has stood the test of time. Jesus talked about it often. He quoted it many times. You could look at John chapter 15, verse 12. And ultimately, it is not simply that it is a commandment to love. It is a reminder that we are to love as we have been loved. It's not just an action we are being called to. It's a response to Him that we are being called to because we can't do it on our own. Sometimes we hear the command, we'll love one another, and then we look next to us and we're like, I don't know about that. 
Like, that sounds great on paper, and it's fun to read, but mm, we'll see. See, we need the love of God at work in our hearts. That's why when we read in Galatians 5, you talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one that's mentioned there? Love. We need God to work that out in us. It's a response of our heart to Him and His love that has been poured out for us on the cross. He says, this is an old commandment. You've had it from the beginning. Now, when he says this, he knows good and well that within the congregation that he is writing to, there is Jew and Gentile alike. There are a lot of people who had come to know Christ who had no idea of what God had said in the Old Testament. And so when he says, you have had this from the beginning, he's talking about the beginning of your walk with Christ. We know that truth is timeless. We just made reference to that. But as he makes application of this within the life of the individual believer, from the earliest time of knowing him, it's clear from his word, it's clear from the church, it's clear by example that God loves us and so we're supposed to love him. He says, this is not new. This is something you've heard before. And this is not some sort of burdensome expectation. It's a reminder that as we walk with Christ, a lot of times we, you know, we don't need to lay extraordinary expectations on everybody all the time. That the earliest expressions of the love of God at work in our heart are probably not going to be the ways in which we can articulate the finer points of theology. But a child can show love. Can't they? A child knows how to do that. The initial response to the father is what? Love. Love for what? That he sent his own son to die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead and that there's forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. See, what we're being called to is, is to enjoy him together. He says, the command is the word that you've heard. That when you heard of Jesus, when you heard his word, when you heard John 3.16 for the first time, and you respond to his love, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And you respond to his love, you repent of your sin, and you turn away from your sin, and you trust in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you live amazed at his love. Amazed that he would die on the cross bearing the full outpouring of the wrath of the Father against your sin. And that he would die for you, rise from the dead, and then would go to heaven and would be our advocate in his ongoing work in heaven. And then you think, if God so loved me, and God loves me like that, then you can look down the aisle, or you can look across the room, or you can look across the hall, and you can say, if God so loves me, I can love whoever that is over there. Amen. It's a response to his love. See, that knowing Jesus leads to timeless truth being freshly applied. And that the more you know him and the more you know his love, the more you want to respond to it, the more ready and willing you are to love others and to love like he loves, with a love that never ceases and a love that endures, a love that never leaves and doesn't walk out, a love that remains through all the ups and the downs of life, through all the afflictions and all the hardships. I imagine many of the testimonies that we have of the love of God at work in our hearts came in the hardest moments of our, of our lives. Where we were walking through what felt like magnified darkness and the love of God lit the room up. 
And we testify to that. And we walk in that. And we look forward to taking every opportunity we have to respond to God and the opportunities He has given to us. He says, this command is familiar to you. We like familiar things. That's why you drive the same way to work every day. Most of you. We like familiar roads and familiar paths. We like familiar restaurants. Familiar tastes. Familiar people. Familiar music. We love all these familiar things. Look at the truth of God. It is familiar. And yet not only is it timeless. And almost nostalgic feeling. At the same time it's also. New. Because in verse 8 he says, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Which is true in him and in you. Now he says, at the same time, it's a new commandment. And of course, it's hard not to read this and be like, wait, what? Like, are, are these just word games that we're playing here? Is this like avoiding calling somebody old by just saying that they're new? Is that what he's doing here? Thankfully, no. But it is a reminder for us that the old lessons are easily forgotten, aren't they? It's funny because we can remember things from our childhood, right? You may remember the name of your math teacher who taught you all manner of different things, but you probably don't remember uh, the Pythagorean theorem and how it applies and what it even is, Right? Maybe you remember in high school and you took physics and you're like, hey, this is interesting and I like all this. You may or may not, probably not, be articulating Newton's laws, right? We remember specific aspects, but so much of the substance of it we can so easily forget. So sometimes the problem is not that old dogs can't learn new tricks. Sometimes the problem is we can't remember the tricks we've already learned. He says, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Needs fresh application. It's new and old at the same time. And we're like, well, how could that be the case? Well, you went to a thrift store lately, didn't you? That's new and old at the same time. Ever been to an antique antique store? That stuff is old. It's what you're looking for, something old. But it's new, too. And all of a sudden we're like, well, maybe this does make sense, right? What's new here about this? Well, it's new in the sense that the love is displayed and fully and finally revealed in Jesus in a way it was not displayed in any other way. Or we could just quote with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think of all, reading the Gospels, you think of all the ways in which he loved others and the ways in which he cared for them and the way in which his humility was on display and loving the worst of the worst and the most afflicted and the most thrown away by society. He's going over their tomb. You think of the love and the humility on display as he's washing his disciples' feet. And we start to read this, we think, oh man, this, this applies everywhere. We need this fresh application of the love of God in Christ. And we see it. Look at what he's done. 
And at the very least, even before we unpack it further from here, this should stir our hearts for hope. That the truth of Christ really does reach all generations. Young and old and everyone in between. He redeems and reconciles and saves. His love endures forever. So as we look around and we see, a, see the world, we see what's going on in the world, we're like, I can't believe this is even happening. Don't get lost in the grim reality of the darkness because the light is shining. The truth applies. He's still saving and redeeming and reconciling. So pray for your kids and lead them to Christ. Pray for your grandkids and lead them to Christ. It's the same God who loved then, who loves now. And there's no need to fret because nothing can stop his love. See, it's true in him and in you. Jesus is the full expression of the, of the love of God. All the promises fulfilled that there would come one as the suffering servant, that there would come one as the good shepherd who lays down in love for his, his life for the sheep. We know our own sin. We know our own unworthiness. And yet he loved us to die for us. He endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against your lust and my lust and your pride and my pride and your fear and my fear and your hate and my hate. All of that laid upon him in love. So that as we heard the whispers of condemnation, he says, I'm coming for you. What an amazing expression of his love. And then you think of walking with Christ and growing with Him in His patience, in His mercy, in all those times that we have all those prodigal seasons, and you would think, if it were anybody else, I would have given up on me, and yet He sought us out and said, no, 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 you're mine. No, 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 you're mine. We fall flat on our face, and we think there's nobody who cares, and there's nobody who loves me, and He kneels down in the dirt and lifts us up and says, I've never left your side. That's our Jesus. It's true in him. See his love and know his love. And out of that, then you can love others. It's true in him and in you, in the application of the love of God in our hearts. That we get to enjoy his love and we get to be equipped by his love to love others. That itself is an expression of God's love. Because God is looking at us and he knows good and well we can't pour anything out of an empty jar. But he knows when he fills that jar up full of his love, then it can overflow into the lives of others. See how good he is? See how much he loves you? See how he transforms our lives with his love? And it's timeless truth that always applies. So if you're here this morning, you've never received his love. That's where you got to start. And if you're walking in obedience with him, you say, I I don't know how I'm going to walk in this command to love one another. This is where you start. Go back to being amazed at his love for you. How he's loved you with his grace. And he loves us not because we deserve it, but because he's gracious. And so also that ought to be reflected in the ways in which we love one another as we pursue forgiveness, as we reconcile one with another, as we put our preferences aside for the benefit of somebody else. Listen to what he says here. It's true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
The darkness is passing away. Isn't that a hopeful thing? We, I mean, we live this every morning. You wake up before the sunrise and you're making your way through your house, right? You don't want to step on all the Legos or trip on Hot Wheel cars or whatever else. And so what are you doing? You're, flip, you're flipping on all the switches as you go. Like, I don't want to fall. I want to see where I'm going. Maybe you get to be outside and you see the sunrise coming up and it's like the shadows just flee as the sun rises. Listen, the kingdom of Christ is advancing. More and more people are being born again. Don't fall trapped to all the stuff in the news and just be discouraged by, oh, it's so bleak and it's so dreary. And it's the... No, the light is advancing. The gospel is shining. The light of Christ continues to shine forth. That's true for neighbors and friends and family members and all these people we're praying for all the time. You can go global and you can think of all of our involvement with the you know, International Mission Board. You can think of places like uh, Iran or Afghanistan where people are coming to faith in Christ one after another, drawing out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. And the light is Jesus Christ himself. He is the light of the world. So even in reading this, this is a reminder, we're not waiting for something else. It's not like we're waiting, well, we need, to, we need one more thing before we can go be obedient to the command. No, we have everything we need in Christ. He is fully sufficient and equips us completely to live in obedience to Him. Do we see what His love has done? Because that same gospel that transformed the lives of people in the book of Acts is the same gospel that transforms people to this very day and will tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and however long the Lord may tarry. What a reminder here for us of the timeless truth of Christ being freshly applied. But as the light of his truth dawns in our lives, we ought to pause and assess the timely implications of his timeless truth. Because as soon as he says this, he immediately makes application of it. In verse 9 he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. See, the truth is meant to be applied. Yes, we are meant to understand these things and acknowledge these things and be able to articulate these things, but it is also meant to be applied. And that any sense of an assessment involves light. Maybe, and I'm sure many of you have, gone through the very humbling process of going to the dermatologist, right? And they get that light out and that big old magnifying glass. And maybe you thought you had it all put together. But you get in there and they start looking around with their light and their whatever. And they're like, "Mm mm-hmm. And you're like, what? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh? And you realize, maybe I'm not as put together as I thought I was. Or maybe it's the the same way with the dentist, right? You go in there and be like, hey, I've been flossing, right? I brush my teeth. I I do good, right? You get in there and... You got your mouth, you know, jacked wide open, and they got that big old light in your face. And they're digging around in there and poking. He's like, mm-hmm. You're like, mm-hmm, what? It's very humbling. 
We know all these assessments take place under the radiance of light. But see, the radiance of the truth of Christ is meant to dawn on us that we would look around and say, Lord, correct in me whatever is wrong that I may walk in faithfulness with you. That my life may reflect your love as I relate to one another. Because the claim is often made, he says, whoever says he is in the light. A lot of people say that they're in the light. That's another way of saying you're a believer, right? That you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. But remember what we've even already talked about. Verse, chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. So if we say we're in the light, then we have fellowship with God and with others. But if you say you're in the light, and you hate your brother, He says you're still in the darkness. What does it mean to hate your brother? We're talking about hating a a brother in Christ, right? A fellow believer. But we're talking about hate in the sense of loathing, of despising someone, of having utter disregard for them, of maybe complete ambivalence. Maybe the expressions of unlovingness is, is often done in refusing to forgive someone or refusing to reconcile with them or maligning someone or giving up on someone or even leaving sin unaddressed in their lives. He says, if you hate your brother, you're still in the darkness. He's saying these two things don't fit together. This does not compute. See, God rescues us by his love, fills us with his love, and there's an expectation that that would be evident in some way in our lives. That if you love him, you're going to love what he loves. That doesn't mean it's always easy. Sometimes it's hard to love one another. And believe it or not, I know this may come as a surprise to you, sometimes you are not easy to love. If you don't believe me, just ask anyone else who you share a house with, right? We all have our moments. We all have our quirks and whatever else. There will come times in everyone's life where you are hard to love. But you know what? Jesus loves you still. And if his love is at work in your heart, then you're going to be able to say, look, I don't think they deserve it, but I don't deserve it either. So I'm going to love them anyway, because that's what you do. See the difference? We need this kind of assessment. We need this kind of clarity. And look, there's an encouraging word in verse 10, just if you're if under the assessment and the light of his glory and the radiance of his love, he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. If you love your brother, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but if that tendency is in your heart and life and you know that, that that's something God has worked out in you, then you can, you can be encouraged in that. You ought to be. We're aiming for clarity here. We're aiming for the assurance of knowing that you know that you know Christ. Look for this kind of evidence. Loving one another in a self-sacrificial sense and a love that endures. And we talk about all these fleeting expressions of love, but you want to know one of the greatest expressions of love? You go and you meet with some of the the church uh, members here in this church who've been married for decades. 
where love has not been this sort of fleeting emotional thing. They're way past that. It's not that the emotion doesn't exist. It's actually deeper than it was at first. But they've gone through every up and down, every sideways twist and this, that, and the other, and said all along the way, we're together, and I love you, and I'm with you, and you serve in pain, and you serve in hardship, and you love one another through all the ups and the downs, and the storms, and the sickness, and everything else. Always present, steadfast, and you know good and well, nothing's ever going to change that. What an expression of how we experience the love of God in our hearts and how we ought to love one another. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. That's where you are. You're just living there. But see, we got to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in the way in which Christ loves us. So that's going to be evident in the way in which we share truth with one another. The way we care for one another, the way we have mercy on those who doubt, the way we rescue those who are wayward and prodigal, the way we help and guide and involve and never give up, but also the ways in which we never tolerate sin in the life of one another either, because we see it as most dangerous and worthy of being addressed, because that's what God has done for us. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. See, this is just another test of the authenticity of genuine faith in how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. That under the light and the radiant purity of his truth and his word and his light, we have a humbling self-assessment here. That we ought to be concerned about one another's growth. We ought to seek what's best for somebody else before we seek it for ourselves. And if that means putting our personal preferences aside, then that's what we've got to do. Instead of asking, what do I want? We start asking, what is best? And then when you do that, he says, there's no cause for stumbling. You're not going to lead somebody astray living like that. You're not going to lead somebody off into the wilderness living like that. You're going to constantly be pointing people to Jesus living like that. No obstacle, no impediment in their walk with Christ. Just loving one another as Christ loves us. And so that as you get it, it, through your life and you find yourself in circumstances where you're, you're serving or you're caring and you just feel depleted and poured out, go back to the source and say, Lord... Remind me of your love that I may go and love one another. Don't try to drum it up for yourself. Look to him and abide in him and remain in him and draw from the source and you will see how God works through you. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He says, if you hate your brother, you're in the darkness. He says that as a present reality. Which is another way of saying you need the light. But not only does he say you're in the darkness if you hate your brother. He says you're walking. He walks in the darkness. That's a continuing pattern. That walking is a metaphor of the entirety of your life. 
And the reality is we, we know on the authority of God's word. That left to ourselves, we love the darkness rather than the light. Because our deeds are evil. And we don't want them exposed. We need the love in us to save us and rescue us and equip us. But see, if you look under the assessment of God's word and you look in your life and you see hatred for your brother, he says you're in the darkness, you're walking in the darkness, you don't know where you're going because the darkness has blinded your eyes. You're walking in ground you can't see, that you can't make sense out of. There's no GPS coordinates that you're going to find. You're off the grid, and there's no lights. And it's even worse, because the darkness has blinded your eyes. He says you're unable to see. So the light of Christ is shining. The first question is, Can you see it? Do you see it in your life? Has it dawned upon you? Is it evident in how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is your life an expression of just wandering without clarity? And maybe you read this verse in verse 11 and you feel like it is a biographical testimony of yourself. And you realize you can't see. But in God's mercy, there's hope even for this diagnosis. Because do you remember John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 9? And Jesus with the man born blind? Never seen. Needed help. Needed rescue. Needed somebody to do in him what he couldn't do in himself and what nobody else could. Jesus healed him. Gave him sight. And as everybody around him tried to give him so much trouble and so much hardship about Jesus healing him, don't forget his simple testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. Maybe you're here this morning, and this has described you. Maybe you've had every bit of the, the trappings of the church without the head of the church. Maybe you've had all sorts of understanding about how things work and how to answer the questions on the test, and yet when the light of the truth of God's Word dawns in your life, you see that there's hatred in your own heart. May the light of Christ dawn on you that you would understand your need for Him, and that you would come to Him for the remedy. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every person in here who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord, the testimony of your life is he called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That they would, we would then testify to the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's true for every single one of us. There was a time where we were walking in darkness, blind to the reality of our own sin. And God opened our eyes by the light of his holiness. And we became aware, Lord, how unworthy I am of your love. 
how much I've run in my own direction, how much I've trusted myself, how much I've, I've done my, gone my own way. I need you. Forgive me. And he says, I love you this much. He sent his son to die, live in perfect righteousness, to be tempted in every way as we are, and yet be without sin, to be the perfect substitute, and then die in our place. So that through faith in him, we would have forgiveness and everlasting life, and he would cover us with his righteousness. Because in doing so, it's an expression of his great love. Don't leave this place without your testimony being, I once was blind, but now I see. And if you're here this morning and the light of God has dawned upon you and you see aspects in your own life where the love needs to flow, maybe you just need to go back to the source. Maybe you just need to cry out, Lord, remind me of the depth and the greatness of your love for me that I would turn around and go love others how I ought. Every single one of us needs to go to him today. The light is shining. Now we get to respond. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being so fatherly that you love us not only enough to save us, but acknowledging that in our own lives we are empty without you. And in your love you save us and then equip us to be obedient to what you've called us to. Father, your love is amazing. And Lord, we ask that right now as the light of your word under the work of your spirit shines in the lives of everybody here. For any person here who has never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, Father, thank you for another opportunity of salvation. Another merciful moment. Father, may they cry out to you in faith, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. Father, forgive me. And that in trusting in Jesus, they would leave this place full of your love. Father, for all of us in here who are well acquainted with your light, convict us. Lead us back to the well of your overflowing love that we would draw deep and love well. Lead us to respond in a way that brings you glory and honor. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.